0: Hey, so before, before we jump into this, I think we just, I think we just need to t- take a second and just cheer for the parking lot. Can we, can we do that? Can we? Man. I, I thought maybe even a moment of silence for the old one, but, I, but no one misses it. No one misses it. So we're, we're not going to do that. Uh, I was talking to, uh, to, to Bob and Renee this morning. Um, we also have a new parking lot. And I thought, man, it's not something that you want to spend money on, but man, it's really nice when you have it, isn't it? So, yay for parking lots. Um, well, hey, I, I'm excited to be here. As Phil said, my name's Jordan. I'm, I'm Guy and Teresa's son, um, and, and man, I, I like the opportunities to get uh, to, to speak with you, share with you. I spoke last weekend at my church, and, and I was talking to my mom on Sunday, and I, and I realized that my tendency to overextend myself, to commit to too many things, is something I come by honestly, all right? So, so. The midwinter conference was here, and then he had a, and my dad had a retreat. He had to prepare, pre, uh, prepare some messages for, and, uh, and he was going to try to preach on top of that. And I said, Dad, I could, I could, like, I could help. I could just real easily come and hang out with my Applewood family and, and preach a message. And he was reluctant, but he agreed. But he liked you guys. Um, and, man, I think God's word makes it cool. Let's, pay, let's play honor where honor is due. And you guys have an awesome pastor, do you not? I mean, guys... He's served faithfully for a long time. He's not tired of ministry yet. Keep praying for him. Not tired of ministry yet. But um, he's a good pastor. He's a good pastor and a a better father. I mean that. Um, So a little bit of context. So I I admitted it a little bit, but I'm basically ripping off a message that I spoke last week at my church. Um, We are in the middle of a series that we started a few weeks ago called Awake. Um, The tagline is dream big, live Better and it's God's put stuff on our hearts, God's given us stuff to, to do and and talents, and we want to do that, but, but how do we live better right here and right now? The verse for this series is Ephesians 3.20. If you're not familiar, let me read that really quickly, and it says this in Ephesians 3.20, now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us. And really what that means is when God is at work in our lives, when we give him the reins to our lives. He can do things and he can cultivate things to a degree that, that we could never. Um, and we talked a little bit about how at the very basis of actually believing that and trusting that is believing that he is able, that he can. And I think for some of you, um, that's all you needed to hear for the season of life that you're walking in right now. He is able. Um, but what we also wanted to do was not just use this verse to push us to look to the future, um, but, but how does that verse uh, be reconciled with where we're at right now, because the reality is, is if we're all, all we're ever doing is looking to the future for more, um, we're going to miss what God wants to do right here and right now. We believe that ultimately we, we weren't just saved for the future. Like Jesus says in John 10, 10, I came to give him life and life to the full. Now that life is eternal life. Like we're going to be, for those who call on Jesus as the Lord and Savior, we're going to spend eternity with him in his presence. That's the life. But the life to the full can be experienced right here and right now. We don't have to wait. And so what we're going to do in this series or in this sermon is talk about how, how do we reconcile life to the full with where we're at right now. And, and some of you may walk in here in a season where you go, well, I am. Like, I really am, man. This is a great season. I am living life to the full, and I'm, and I'm living out the things that God put on my, my heart and my life. And, and, and to you, I would say, but remember the part where it says ask or imagine, right? Because there's more. Like, if you can't imagine it, there's more through him who is able. So don't let the place God has taken you thus far limit where he wants you to go in the future. I think so often our past success can limit our future direction, and I don't know if anything hinders the work that God can do in our lives like some good old-fashioned comfortability. And so, like, let's praise him and let's give thanks for what he's done in your life, but don't quit looking to him for what's next. Um, But for some of you... You walk in here and you say, Pastor, that sounds great for them. But, but the reality is, is my life actually doesn't look like that. Um, and, and I'm not living my dream. And if I'm really honest, I, I can't even remember what my, my dream looks like. And for you, I'm here to remind you again, he is able. We, we serve a God of turnarounds, a God of reconciliation, a God of second chances. And when we look at him and say, man, that's impossible, he says, impossible, Really? Well, why don't you watch me work because I'm actually in the business of impossible. And so listen, if you walk in here today feeling a little bit defeated, maybe maybe you walk in here today feeling a little troubled, maybe a little hopeless, remember that he is able. And if you walk in here today in a really sweet season, man, we celebrate with you. But don't quit looking to him for what's next. Um, and so for the next couple of minutes, I want to just take some time and dig into attention. And when I say it, you'll start to understand. But it's, it's this. Um, I think God clearly calls us to be people of action, doesn't he? Like he gives us skills and abilities and he puts things on our hearts to do things and to push his kingdom forward. He says as, as his followers that we're the ones to move the gospel. He says, you're my workers and you're going to push the gospel from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the ends of the earth. We're not to sit back. We've got to move forward. But um, in a strange twist, God has given us a mission that we're actually powerless to complete on our own, Right? And so, so with 100% certainty, we will find ourselves in seasons of life where we go, God, I, I know you want me to move. Like, I know there's more. I know you've given me some stuff to do, and I know you've given me some talents to use. I know that. And I actually don't just know that. I, I want that too. I know you want me to move, and I want to move too, but I feel stuck. And so what now? And I think what we'll find um, is that the answer to that question, that what now, of how we live in that tension, is I think both far, far simpler but also far more difficult than we could um, imagine. So before we jump any further, let's take a second and pray. Um, And I think it's important to remember as believers why we pray. Um, We're not like informing uh, God of things that he isn't aware of. We're not just asking him for stuff. Um, We're getting our hearts in the right posture. Because I I believe this. I can't preach a good enough sermon. Worship team can't lead good enough worship to actually change you. Like you'll leave here and you may feel a little bit encouraged and then someone cuts you off and you cuss and, and you ruin everything, Right? But listen, if the Holy Spirit gets involved, then he can actually transform us. We don't believe that we're just called to obey better or, or just not sin more. He calls us to be transformed, to be more like Jesus. And so let's invite him into that process. God, thank you for this morning, um, for the opportunity we have to hear from you. Um, Lord, I just pray right now that you would be with me, um, that you would speak through me. God, would you speak to our hearts? We, We want to be changed. We want to walk out of here a little bit different than we walked in here. Our our goal is to to know you more. And so would you do that today, Father? We love you. And everybody said, amen. Amen. Um, So I said far simpler but far more difficult. I think far simpler because the answer to this, um, not not just the good suggestion, not just like the nice thought, but the answer to how to live in this tension is found in Scripture. But I, I think more difficult because quite literally... Um, everything around you and everything within you is going to be screaming the opposite. And so here's the answer. Okay, Are you ready for what the answer is to how to live in this tension? Contentment. Contentment. That's the answer that God gives us in his word to, to how to live in this tension. Um, so, so here's a little setup for an illustration I want to use. As a pastor, um, I find it like easiest and most authentic to preach from lessons and seasons of life that God has me walking through. Um, this was a little bit different, because I don't know if you know this, but <clears throat> I don't actually struggle with contentment. I'm kidding. That was a joke. <laughs> you guys don't know me well enough for me to joke like that. <clears throat> not, not that I don't struggle with contentment. It was different for me, because in this current season of life, I don't really feel like contentment was something that God was working on me. It, it, it's not because I've found the secret, um, it's because... I'm such a wreck, and there's so many other things that he wants me to learn and grow in that contentment wasn't even on my radar, but it is now. Um, And so, I don't know if you know this. Some of you may know this about me. Some of you may remember. But if you know my mother, um, this won't come as a surprise to you, but um, I am a shoe guy. I love shoes. I love a fresh pair of shoes to the point where I've been told by those closest to me um, that I have a problem and that I've had a problem for quite some time. And... And here's the truth, you guys. I don't have a problem, okay? <laughs> they, don't, they don't know. Like, they don't know me. They don't know what it's like to be me. I just, I like shoes. It's fine. And, and listen, I'm not, I don't, I don't hide it from my wife all the time, okay? And she's, <laughs> she's like totally supportive sometimes. But a couple things happened this, this, uh, a couple weeks ago when I was preparing for this message that, that made me think, okay, maybe, maybe there's something there. So the first thing was this. As I was preparing, I reached out to my mother, and I said, hey, mom, I'm preaching on contentment. You got any, like, old old gold stories of me being discontent? <clears throat> and she said, well, you could, you could talk about that time where you and your brother got into a really terrible fight over a ping pong match. Wasn't that discontentment? Like, weren't you discontent that your younger brother beat you at ping pong? And I said, no, mom. That wasn't, that wasn't discontentment. That was honor, okay? That was an honor killing. <laughs> D- don't Let's not bring up the past, okay? What else do you have? and she said, well, I mean, I guess you could talk about, and I quote, your ever-ongoing quest for new shoes. I'm like, you have a quest, Mom. That's not, okay, good talk. The second incident was when I was telling my wife that story, and she actually agreed with my mother, which I think there's a rule against that, but anyway, she agreed with my mom and then reminded me that I had bought a new pair of shoes two weeks ago that I could coincidentally wear while I preached the message. And, and I started to realize that I may have a shoe contentment issue. Um, and I learned that I'm a shoe guy is code for I have contentment issues that are currently focused on shoes. Um, but, but per the usual, in that moment, God reminded me that first and foremost, I'm preaching to myself in this season. And so as we go through this, if that is ever in doubt, just know first and foremost, um, I'm preaching to myself. Um, and, and listen, I, I get it. Like It's kind of funny. When we're talking about shoes and someone's contentment issue with shoes, um, it, it's just kind of funny. right? Like, How, how does that really matter? How, what does that have to do with like, where God wants to take you and what he wants to do in your life? Um, but what happens w- when it's our life, though? And, and that discontentment and that restlessness we feel can't be temporarily quieted by buying a pair of shoes. What do we do? When, when things don't seem to line up with, with where we're at and, and where we think God wants us to be. Um, and I think when that happens, we've got a couple possible solutions. So on the one side of this, you'll get an answer from just kind of the culture at large. all right, And that answer would be, listen, um, if you find yourselves in seasons where you're stuck, you, you just need to try harder. Like You just need to pull yourself up by your bootstraps. You need to make sure that people don't talk to you a certain way and they don't treat you a certain way, and you need to make sure you hustle. Like If you feel stuck, you need to get yourself unstuck. But then on the other hand, in Scripture, we've got God's Word saying, listen, when you find yourselves in seasons where things aren't going the way that you want them to go or way that you feel like they're supposed to be going, I want you to just kind of sit in that tension and I want you to trust me because ultimately the answer does not lie within yourself. And so listen, Applewood Community Church, I ask you today, whose voice are you listening to? Whose voice are you going to listen to? Maybe for some of you, whose voice have you been listening to? And the reality is that's not a rhetorical question or an antagonistic question. That's, that's a reality. We can choose whose voices that we listen to, and we can choose whose opinions we give voice to in our lives. Now, I think let's have a moment of honesty. When, when I said contentment, the general response is kind of a yawn, right? This is predictable. He's a pastor. He's telling us to be content. I probably should go grab another cup of coffee because I'm going to need to get some caffeine going to get through this, right? Like if we're really honest. And listen, I get it because that was my response too. When I'm I'm praying like, God, I have an opportunity to speak. And as a people, we're trying to dream big and and live out the lives that you've called us to live, live better right now. And he whispered contentment to me. I kind of yawned. I grabbed some sugar in the form of peppermint fudge, and I made myself a cup of coffee because I thought, man, I'm going to need it. And I thought, really, God? Like of all the things in your word that you could teach us to to dream big, live better, you're going to just have me talk about like tame, run-of-the-mill, vanilla, contentment? Like, really? And in that moment, I felt the answer to my own question. You know, when the Holy Spirit kind of gently convicts and gently pokes, and the answer pops into your head, it's not from you, but you know it's the right answer. And the answer was, that's the problem. And I said, what? And he said, that's the problem. See, your, your attitude toward contentment has so pervaded like who you are and how you think that you've allowed contentment to become tame and vanilla and run-of-the-mill and, and maybe a good suggestion at certain points in your lives, but, but certainly not something to take all that seriously. And I think maybe some of you can relate to that. But in the Gospel of James, we see James explaining a process to us where he has a seemingly innocent emotion that he calls desire. And he says, desire conceives and gives birth to sin. And what he's explaining is that in our lives, there are things that seem very innocent and very mundane and and, and very inconsequential. But if we give them room, they can grow into powerful forces. And I think when some discontentment is fostered and it's given room to grow um, and thought about, I think it can turn into a full-blown dissatisfaction of who you are and where you are and who God created you to be. And I think once dissatisfaction has its run of the house, we can see it working its way in and through all kinds of different ways. And so he, here's how it's looked in seasons of my life, and I'll just ask you some questions, and, and maybe you can relate. Um, anger. like, Are you angry? Or, or maybe, maybe you're not angry, but you walk around with kind of a simmering frustration at stuff. And you find yourselves oftentimes just pointing blame at people and condemning Finding fault in others, man, I, I, I do far more often than I would like to admit. I really do. Um, maybe for you, the dissatisfaction in your life has led you to a place of depression or despair. Like if you're really, really honest, the dissatisfaction of your life has robbed your ability to find joy and satisfaction. Man, I know I've, I've been there. Um, maybe for you, um, the dissatisfaction has led you to a place of fear and anxiety. Like your mind is just plagued by what-if questions and you can't quiet it and you can't find peace. I know a whole lot of us would say, man, yeah. Like when you put it like that, it really does. And maybe for you, that doesn't relate. But I think a whole lot of us would say, man, that that stuff's all well and good. But more than anything in my life, dissatisfaction has just left me with um, like a deep restlessness and a deep sense of lacking that thinks that satisfaction and joy will be found in having whether that's a person or, or a thing or an achievement, you, your life is characterized by, I'll finally be happy when I have blank. Christian, I ask you today, is your heart captivated by the next thing promising satisfaction? And I think while each of these have different nuances and implications in our lives, regardless of where discontentment leads us, it can wreak havoc on our faith, and it can wreak havoc on our testimony, and it can wreak havoc on a relationship with others, and ultimately, God, and and here's what dissatisfaction will always do. It will always take our focus off the work God wants to do in our lives right here and right now. And I think if we're going to be able to find joy and peace and satisfaction where God wants to take us, it's going to start with us being able to find joy and peace and satisfaction where we're at right now. Because listen, if you find yourself struggling in this season to find that stuff, I promise you that your what-ifs and your I'll-be-happy-whens will never bring you what you think they will bring you. And so if you've got your Bibles, we'll turn to Philippians 4. We'll be in verses 10 through 13. I was a little bit of a slacker, and I didn't get them this slide, so we don't have it. But I'll read it so you can follow along. Philippians 4, 10 through 13, it says this, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned. This is Paul talking. But you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I have learned to be content, whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need and I know what it is to have plenty, and I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. Paul says, I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Um, I think it'll be helpful to take a second and talk about what we mean when we're talking about being contentment, what Paul means when he's saying um, be content in all circumstances. Uh, I think culturally, like if you look at the world around um, Contentment's not a real high value. It doesn't get a lot of cred. If you had the courage to go to 16th Street Mall uh, or or, uh, Pearl Street up in Boulder and start walking up to strangers and asking them questions like, um, when you show up in life, how do you want to be? Like, What are you striving for? When you think about how you are experienced by the world around you, what are the things that you care about? And I think you would hear a lot of people talking about happiness. Man, I want to be happy. I think you'd hear a lot of the, the, like the buzz phrase of our culture, I'm, I'm just trying to be true to myself. Um, I just want to be nice. I, I just want to be kind. And the reality is, man, there's nothing wrong with that in and of itself. But I don't imagine you'd hear a lot about contentment. You, don't, you, you wouldn't hear people say, man, I'm just trying to be content with whatever happens in my life. Like contentment is something I'm trying to cultivate, and my life is crazy right now, and I just don't want to be affected by my circumstances. Or, or I'm just... I just want to learn to be okay with whatever happens to me, right? Like, I don't, I don't think you would hear a lot of that. And I think in part it's because we've mistakenly taken contentment and allowed it to become a synonym for some things that it isn't. And so so here are some ways I think we've come to define contentment um, that aren't true. And I think when we're trying to understand, like, what someone means, sometimes it's helpful to know, well, it's not that, okay? So, so here, here's a couple ways. Um, I think when we think of contentment as a culture, sometimes we get like a detached stoicism in our mind. Like, um, to make it through, you just kind of have to distance yourself from the trials and the hardships of life. And I don't think that's what Paul means. I think some of us, when we think of content people, we think they're just a little fatalistic. Like, somehow, some way, they've found a little bit of comfort in just accepting things are the way that they are, and you better just get used to it, right? And I I don't think that's what Paul is talking about either. But I think most of all, most of us in this room, if we're really honest, would say, man, when I think of contentment, um, I've attached kind of a complacency or a laziness to it. It's not even just a neutral thing. It's actually a negative thing. um, And people that are content, they're just too happy. They're just too easily pleased. And man, I want more out of life. And so I just, I can't be content. And, and, And listen, that's not what Paul is talking about at all. In fact, in, in 1 Timothy 6.6, 6, Paul says this. He says, Godliness with contentment is great gain. And we've got to remember that this is Paul who's telling us this. See, Paul is a really smart guy, and Paul is a very ambitious guy, and Paul is a very well-read guy. Paul single-handedly wrote almost half the New Testament. And so when he's saying that we should want contentment, that it isn't just gain, but it's great gain, it makes me think that maybe what he's encouraging me to do in light of who I know him to be, is a little bit different than what I've come to believe contentment is. And so if you go back to Philippians 4, Paul says this, I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. He says, I know it is to be in need, but I have learned the secret of being content. And he's saying right here, listen, guys, I've been in need. Like, I get it. I know, I know that frustration. I I do. But, But the secret to finding contentment didn't actually come when I met those needs. And so what we find is the first truth about contentment, and I think it's the number one misconception in our culture about contentment, and it's this. Discontentment doesn't come from lacking things. Discontentment doesn't come from lacking things. Now, I want to be careful and not trivialize some of the things that you may be walking in here with. Um, Because if I'm really honest... Some of the stories that I hear about the the people uh, in my church family and in your church family, maybe that one relationship removed from our church family, have me at times going like, God, what, what is going on, right? We got people that are sick, and not just flu sick. I'm talking like cancer. I'm talking brain tumors. I'm talking autoimmune diseases, and I'm talking debilitating physical conditions that they had nothing to do with. I'm talking death and tragedy and relationship storms and financial storms, right? These are very real people with very real problems and very real hurts. And listen, if that's you here today or if that's somebody that you know, I promise you that Paul's message in this text that we should be content in all circumstances is not a call to just grit and bear it. He's not just saying, listen, buck up, buttercup, and get used to the way things are. He's not saying that. What he's doing is is encouraging us to cultivate a heart posture that can look the dark night of the soul in the face and go, listen, you don't win, okay? I I know the things around me aren't going the way I want, but you don't win, and I know my situation right now may be tempting me to despair, but but you don't win. And listen, I can assure you that we have a Father in heaven that knows you and cares deeply about you and the things that you are going through and how he intervenes and why he intervenes and when he intervenes, we don't know, okay? Okay? It's a mystery to us, but what we do know is that God's word tells us that he's able to sympathize with us, that he gets it. He understands the depths of the brokenness that we walk in, the trials that this life can bring us. And so in his graciousness, through the power of the Holy Spirit, he's given us a way to make it through. Like we can make it. Whatever life throws at us, we can make it. And we can not just make it, we can thrive. We can find peace and we can find joy and we can find fulfillment in in the middle of that stuff no matter what. And I think the interesting thing to note about this passage in Philippians that Paul is calling us to contentment in is that it's being written while he's in a Roman prison. Um, If you're not that familiar with Paul, you can read about kind of his hardship resume uh, in 2 Corinthians, but I'll give you the cliff notes, okay? So in his ministry, okay, in his effort to push the gospel forward, like do really good things for the kingdom, he's been flogged five times. Now, in, in, in Roman culture, they, they did uh, 40 lashes minus one, because the 40 lashes would kill you, and so it was like a nice little thing they did to just beat you to the point of death and then not quite kill you. That happened to him five times. He says, I've been beaten with rods three times. I, I've been pelted with stones. He says, I've been shipwrecked three times. And you go, Paul, take a different form of transportation. Ships aren't working, <laughs> right? Shipwrecked three times. He says, I spent a night and a day in the open sea. Like, Paul... Knows hardship. But what he's saying is that in the midst of all that, he's cultivated an ability to take whatever life throws at him, good and bad, and not be consumed by them. Like he can take whatever life throws at him and not be consumed by it. The word that Paul uses in the Greek implies um, a self-sufficiency, okay, that's not subject to or dependent on external circumstances that word doesn't deny the trials and the hardships of life it doesn't deny the joy that can come when things go our way it's just not subject to them and regardless of what happens he can find peace and he can find joy and he can find rest not through his circumstances but despite them and man if if we want to be a people that can learn to like dream and live out the, the calling god put on our lives but live better right here and right now i think this is something we should pay attention to is it not Listen, can you imagine if you really lived your life like this? Can you imagine what it would be like in your world if you didn't need people to talk to you a certain way? Can you imagine what it would be like if you didn't need your kids to behave a certain way? Can you imagine what it would be like if you didn't need idiots to drive a certain way, right? Can you imagine the work that God could do in the kingdom? Can you imagine the joy that would be found, the freedom that could be found if we really lived this way? Man, you, you couldn't phase Paul, like, Paul, we're going to uh, throw you in prison. Okay, cool. Well, I'm going to just sing worship songs. I'm going worship, to worship, like, witness to every single person that I see. Throw me in prison. That's fine. Actually, Paul, we're not going to throw you in prison. We're going to kill you. All right, cool. Well, to die is gain. I'm going to just spend all eternity with my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so you're actually doing me a favor. Actually, Paul, we're going to let you live. Oh, okay, cool. Well, to live is Christ. So I- I'm actually just going to keep going about the mission that he's put on my heart and my life. And Right? Like you couldn't phase Paul. But yet it's important to remember, too, like he wasn't a robot. He wasn't, he wasn't a stoic, okay? He, he felt deeply. Like you read his letter to these churches that he writes, and he misses them, and he worries about them, and he wants to be with his friends, and he's sad when people die, right? He's not a robot. Paul, Paul feels deeply. Man, he's ambitious, and he's smart, and he's got stuff to do. He just knows that the tension we feel in our lives when things aren't going the way we hoped won't be resolved by things going the way that we hoped just won't and I think even on a very practical level a lot of us could look at our lives and say man the things that I'm struggling with are because of some need that I have whether that's money or relationships or kids or or health or whatever he just says trust me um I've been there I get it but the thing that changed stuff around for me wasn't getting what I thought I needed because here's the thing I've, I've been on the other side too I've had those needs met. Paul says, um, I've also had it all. I've been in seasons of plenty. I've been well fed. And while those seasons are undeniably easier in some respects, the presence of that stuff didn't actually meet the needs that I thought it would meet. He says, I know what it is to have plenty. And I have learned the secret of being content. Whatever that is, which brings us to the second truth about contentment. And it's obvious, but if discontentment isn't because we lack things, then finding those things won't solve the problem either. Um, <clears throat> in 2005, 60 Minutes did an interview with Tom Brady. Dun dun dun. Right. If you're not familiar, okay, this is Broncos country. Tom Brady is a villain around here. Okay, even the very nature of me mentioning his name is bringing some strong emotions to the surface. And some people, I if that's you, I just want to encourage you, just oh, be okay. Just relax. It's just an illustration. We're gonna get through this. All right. 2005, interview with Tom Brady, 60 minutes talked to him after he won his third Super Bowl. So so there are quarterbacks that will play their entire career and never win a Super Bowl. He's won three already. After signing a 10-year, $60 million deal, after in this very interview admitting to have already made more money playing football than he could ever ask or imagine, if we're going to use Paul's verbiage. He's already admitted in this interview that he's already had more success than he ever thought possible playing football. And yet, here's what Tom says why do I have three Super Bowl rings and still think there's something greater out there for me? He says, maybe a lot of people would say, man, this is what it is. I've reached my goal, my dream, my life, me. I think there's got to be more than this. So so think about it. Tom, Tom has it all for all intents and purposes. Man, he's got the girl and he's got the house and he's got the house in the right location and he's got the job and the money and the cars and the career and the future in that career, right? Like on the surface, he's got everything we would point to and go, that's it. Like if you can get that then you will find what your soul is craving. Tom's got it and yet he says it's got to be more than this. It's interesting. Throughout the course of this week I found myself often asking like why? Why am I like this? Why are we like this? Why why are we why is it so hard for us to accept less? Why do we always want more? Why is it so difficult for us to be satisfied, and in my ponderings, I arrived at something, and I think it's this: I think we are this way because we were made this way. Ecclesiastes three says this: God wrote eternity on our hearts. I think we were made to look around at our lives, the good and the bad, and go, man, there's more than this. See, I think create, He created us with eternity for Him, with Him, forever, and so the, the temporary, finite nature of the world that we fr- that we currently live in just doesn't cut it because it wasn't supposed to. We're hardwired to worship and to pursue God, and in that pursuit, he created an unquenchable thirst for more. So, so the discontentment that you feel isn't necessarily bad. The restlessness in your soul isn't necessarily bad because it was put there by the creator of the universe to draw you into a deeper relationship with himself. But in our brokenness, and our fallenness, we just have a really hard time figuring out where to put those... Of, and so we're easily distracted, we're easily sidetracked. And so instead of them drawing us effortlessly into a deeper relationship with our Creator, it has complicated things. Philippians four twelve b the second half of that verse through 13, Paul concludes with this, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in pl- plenty or in want, I can do all this through Him who gives me strength. And so here Paul's revealing the secret sauce. Paul, what's the secret sauce? Like, How do you do this? How do you walk through life and not be phased? And he says, well, contentment isn't what you have. Contentment isn't what you've gotten, where you've gotten. Contentment isn't what you've achieved. Contentment is a person, and his name is Jesus. Contentment is a person, and his name is Jesus. And the key to living like this, to dream big for the future while living better right here and right now, is recognizing that, listen, nothing else matters if we don't have him. Nothing else matters if we don't have him. And then on the heels of that, realizing that if we have him, and we pursue him with all of our heart, soul, and mind, everything is better. Like the good times are better, and the bad times don't seem quite so bad, and the times where we find ourselves stuck start to feel a little bit more like opportunities to maybe slow down and find some rest, find some peace, maybe get to know our creator a little bit better. Bill and Al, you guys can come on up. I'm going to close with this. Applewood Community Church, I think it's really important that we we know that despite the way it may feel sometimes, contentment is not a call to less. Contentment is not a call to just settle. Contentment is actually a call to infinitely more than what we're currently looking for. And when Jesus said, seek first my kingdom and my righteousness, and all this will be added to you, what he's not saying is, listen, if you just do what I say, I'm going to make sure in this life you get everything you want. You just follow some rules and I'm going to make sure that everything goes the way that you want it to go. No, no, no. He's saying, listen, I know this is going to be hard, but if man, if you can seek me first, like if you can really try to know me and you can spend time in my word and you can spend time letting prayer change and cultivate something in your heart and you can get into some community, I promise you, in this life, you're going to have everything you need, namely a relationship with me that will change the way you live and change the way you look at your life. There's a, there's a C.S. Lewis quote that I've probably used almost every time I, I preach, and I don't even care, because it's really good. <laughs> and some of you know what I'm going to say here, but it fits this perfectly, and it's this. C.S. Lewis says, It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. He says, We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an, like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine... What is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea he says we are far too easily pleased and listen Applewood I don't know about you but man I, like, I want a holiday at the sea like doesn't that sound good I want a holiday at the sea I'm tired of the slums and I'm tired of mud pies and I'm tired of shoes I'm actually not tired of shoes I'm not tired <laughs> of shoes God God and I are, we're still working on that but you know what I mean I want more I don't want less And I want him to start revealing to me and pointing to me all all the ways that I'm looking to temporary things to provide temporary happiness when infinite joy is offered to me just by changing what I want more of. I think dreaming big and living better right now, not in some future better version of your life, is a contentment that comes from not just recognizing that nothing else matters if you don't have him, but actually living like you believe that. And then I think if we can do that and start to make that our number one priority, everything else starts to fall in place and everything else starts to make sense. Let's pray. God, thank you so much um, for this morning, for the opportunity that we have to gather as your people. Lord, we're here because we, we love you. And we're here because we want to know you. And so, Lord, I pray right now that we walk out of here a little bit different than we walked in, um, that you've challenged us a little bit. Maybe you've encouraged us a little bit, but more than anything, Father, you've just grown us a little bit more. Lord, would you point us to the ways in our lives Um, that may seem insignificant and may seem trivial, but that are in some ways cultivating a discontentment with who we are and who you've made us to be. And then help us to focus on you. Help us to trust you. Help us to recognize that you do work all things for the good of those who love you, even in situations where it's confusing and it's hard. God, help us to trust that. We love you and we thank you for your word. And it's in your precious name we pray. Amen.